You are listening to Quality Time, a podcast designed to support Nebraskan providers through their journey with Step Up to Quality. I am your host, Colleen Schmidt. Get ready to listen as we prepare to elevate each other as we step up to quality. Welcome back, listeners. We are so happy that you're here. Welcome back to season two. Happy back to school season for those of you who are working in a classroom setting that follows that summer schedule. We are all of a sudden transitioning back to school. I feel like summer just began. It went really quick. It's been a whirlwind, but we are ready to get back into the routine. For our very first podcast of season two, we are discussing transitioning preschoolers to kindergarten. And when I say preschoolers, I mean children ages four and five, five here in Nebraska that are ready to move on to uh, that next step in their journey with education. And it is a big one. Going to kindergarten is our topic today. And how as providers, we can support our families in preparing for that big transition. So today we have a panel session for our first episode. And we have Carol Burke and Emily Dapperco, both with us from Nebraska Department of Ed. I'm going to stop talking so you two can introduce yourselves and share a little bit about your experience or your journey and tell us the lens you're going to use when you're looking through thinking of transitioning to kindergarten. So Carol, I'll have you start. Tell us a little bit about what you do now and what you used to do that makes you relevant for our panel. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Colleen. I'm Carol Burke and I'm an early childhood education specialist at the Nebraska Department of Education. Um, Prior to that, I was an early childhood teacher. Um, I taught in a preschool room, an inclusive preschool room, Head Start, three to five-year-olds. And I also currently adjunct at um, the University of Nebraska, Omaha, and I teach a class called Play as a Learning Medium. Mm -hmm. So my lens is going to be from my early childhood education experience, but also from that advocacy of including play um, in learning and play in schools. I love that. Carol, remind me as we're getting going with this, like I want to talk a little bit about play and play's role in preparing and transition. I think there's lots of different camps that you can belong to with play and we can even get into the continuum a little bit and talk maybe about guided play (laughs) and what that looks like and how that okay cool so that's very exciting we're so happy you're here and Emily can you share a little bit about what you do now and what you used to do Yes, of course. Um, I right now work with the Department of Ed as an early childhood education specialist also with Carol. Um, Prior to that, I um, operated an in-home daycare out of my home and I was licensed as an in-home daycare but operated as a preschool, operated Mm -hmm. like a preschool for the last 10 years. And before that, um, I taught first and second grade in a combined age classroom for three years. Um, I also have four little ones at home. I guess some of them aren't so little, um, but they're um, so I'm just just in that transitioning to school stage still. 
So ah. I'll be through that lens. Do you, Emily, do you have someone going to kindergarten soon? I did last year and Me then too. I will again next year. So oh, we, we yeah. need to talk about that too through <laughs> all the feelings. Yep. Oh my gosh, all the feelings I have for, they're not so little ones either, but uh, the, the youngest just went to kindergarten last year. She had a wonderful experience, but every time I send a child off, it's just like this. I almost feel like it's the end of babyhood. I know it's yeah. not, but you know, it's just everything goes so fast after. So it does. Yeah, definitely all, a good, but hard, hard transition. Yeah. All the feels with it. So mm -hmm. let's, let's dive in. Let's talk about the transition. So Carol, you mentioned that you taught in a preschool setting uh, and I want to know, what does kindergarten readiness mean? Okay, so when I think about this question, it's a, I have first a big picture answer and then maybe a smaller, um, more tangible answer. But I like to think about this in three sections. So there's kindergarten readiness for um, schools and administration. So, you know, making sure that schedules and classrooms in kindergarten are appropriate to developmentally appropriate to children who have just come from preschool and really um and making sure that 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 extra time is built in for things that that early childhood um, students in early childhood will need like um maybe some more longer meal times um mm -hmm. definitely extra um recess time like outside time they're going to need to run around more and um, having those administrators really educated about early childhood and understanding that early childhood isn't doesn't mm -hmm. end when they walk into the kindergarten room. It is from birth to age eight. So early childhood is this really long um, period of childhood. Um, and then the second part I like to think about is for teachers. So teachers need kind of all of the above of that, but mm -hmm. they also need that advocacy piece. So teachers who know and understand developmentally appropriate practice and can advocate with their administration and for the parents even and for families um, about what kindergarten and what early childhood lo looks like or could look like. And then for children, um, I'd like to, change, to try to change that narrative. So when I'm talking about kindergarten readiness, I, I always try to flip that script and say, well, let's, let's not make kinder ready children instead let's make the kindergarten ready for children uh kindergarten child ready kindergartens yeah <laughs> um and so that you know again that's going to look like a, a place where there's still um opportunities for play and where they're still um able to learn through inquiry mm -hmm. um where the the assessments are perhaps observational assessments kind of continuing on that observational assessment um and understanding that they will come with some skills um mm -hmm. and that those skills are valuable they may not have those solid foundational academic skills yet but the skills that they are bringing you know self-help skills and self-regulation things that they have learned in preschool um are just as important to have in kindergarten as you know, writing your name because without those kind of first skills of socialization and self-regulation, they're not going to learn how to do those academic skills. Um, and so then my my kind of my more tangible, I think, idea about kindergarten readiness is just creating joyful classrooms. 
um, and bringing joy into the classroom. Um, you know, those times when you're with your students and, you know, I did work in kindergarten for a little bit. I was a paraprofessional in kindergarten, so I was there as well. And those times of um, play and when they're, they're asking you questions and you're able to build on what they want to understand, I think are those magical moments in kindergarten. Um, and so, but you have to kind of allow for the space for that and allow for the time for that. Mm-hmm. I love so much of what you said, especially I taught kindergarten. It is my wheelhouse. I love kindergarten. I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be singing Dr. Jean on the carpet still. I don't know what happened. <laughs> right. But- That's right. Here I am. But when you talk about advocacy and that role as teacher, boy, I that's something that hindsight's always 2020, but it's something I really missed the mark on as an early childhood educator in a kindergarten classroom. I wish I would have had the voice to be able to support best practices in a way that it made sense to my principal. And it made sense to my coworkers. It made sense to my families. And I just didn't. And then I, I feel if we don't ever speak up, we can't prepare kindergarten for our kids because right. we're forgetting our, our solid why. Um, but I love what you said about advocacy. And I agree with you. We've got to give our, our preschoolers a little bit more credit who are starting kindergarten right. with their ability to self-regulate. That's you know, that's a huge skill that we're trying to support in birth through five. And that's truly when we talk about kindergarten readiness. Can I regulate my emotions? Do I have a fancy word, executive functioning skills right. where, you know, I can wait, <laughs> I can take turns, I can, I can have ownership of my thoughts and feelings, but uh, you make me sad about the advocacy piece, Carolyn. Well, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want anybody, you know, to feel bad about that because I don't think it's easy, right? I don't think it's, the system is set up to be easy. So, um, it, you know, you really have to, um, you have to be confident in your knowledge and teachers are professionals. And I just don't yes. know that we're always like kind of made to feel like we are professionals and we are experts, um, so yeah, you know, you have to, it's, it's a process. It's definitely a process. I even think when I sent my, my last baby, this one last year, uh, I was speaking with a good friend who's early childhood person too, taught preschool, did all the things, does a bunch of research now. And I was kind of sharing my nervousness and my woes about what, what will happen? <laughs> will she like it? All this. And she said, you know, the fact of it is, is right now how we have kindergarten designed is she will have to learn how to relearn what learning is. And I was like, yeah. ah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. what's going on. But it's all, it's not all doom and gloom. So let's, right. Talk. that's right. It's not like there's so many good things happening. Then you're right about our educators being professionals, I think encouraging those to use their voice, use their, you know, knowledge and expertise. But let's, let's talk a little bit about developmentally appropriate practices. And Emily, share with us a little bit about what does that mean? And then what does it mean in regards to helping to transition children to kindergarten? Let's talk about DAP. 
Um, so I think I'm going to quote Carol here. She uses this a lot. Just um, children learn like it's how humans learn best, right? right. It's interactive and um, it's hands on and they're asking questions. And if I think about myself personally, when I'm learning something, um, direct instruction is okay for a little bit, but then I need to really dig in and see where I'm confused and what I need clarification on and, and really um, to grasp grasp that skill or whatever I'm trying to learn. And I think it's the same for kids. They need that. Um, they need those interactions and they need to be learning things that they're interested about and um, using multiple strategies um, to to meet meet the needs of all the students and kind of going back to that kindergarten readiness. Um, you know, I think a lot of parents are like, is my baby ready for kindergarten? You know, and um, I think most teachers out there are just like ready to meet your kid where they're at, you know, and yes. they understand that different children have different needs. And um, so I think the developmentally appropriate practice is just kind of basing it. Um, you have to know where they're at and then just building off of that prior knowledge. And um, there's so many like wonderful teachers out there in wonderful school districts who are um, doing the best they can with the standards that they're given. And um, they recognize like this is this is really hard work that those kindergartners are doing. And so um, just I think. Like Carol mentioned, the the classroom should be joyful and um, should meet the kids where they're at. So when you were an in-home provider, Emily, and you were, you know, doing that important, powerful work, were developmentally appropriate practices at the heart of what you did? Was it a joyful place to be? Well, I thought so. I mean, <laughs> I would, and I think um, children just can have fun. They can get excited about whatever it is you um, are doing. You know, if the teacher feels if, is having a having fun teaching, those yeah. children will, you know, you co co-regulate your emotions. So if I'm feeling joyful in what I'm teaching them, they're going to be feel joyful also. And so, um, yes, we were messy, we were busy, and um, my classroom would be a disaster at the end of the day. And that's just part of life. You know, that's how they were active and engaged in learning. So I agree. And not every moment, listeners, is a joyful moment. No one's saying that. No, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. We yeah. are saying that if you share that joy with kids, amazing things happen. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Yeah. Carol, or yeah, Carol, any other thoughts on DAP and really bringing that in when we're thinking of transitions? Um, well, you know, just I just want to echo Emily um, and I, I do often say, especially to my um, students at in teacher um, ed, you know, it, we have to start thinking about our students as human beings. Yeah. And shifting that narrative of like, they are the child, I am the adult. It is like, we are all humans. And thinking about like, how best do humans learn? And I, you know, I often, especially when I was in the preschool classroom, I often thought about like, well, how do I learn? I'm a very hands-on visual learner. Um, and and so I, I would really try to incorporate that kind of learning style into teaching the children or really try to watch and see, even my college students, how are they learning best? 
Um, and so I think at the heart of that developmentally appropriate practice is understanding, um, you know, how humans learn and the different ways that we learn at different stages and ages and, um, and that kind of thing. Even sometimes different days. Like, different days. Again, yeah. they're humans. They have bad days. They have good days. They have silly days. You know, just as we as teachers go in and like, maybe we're not having the best day or maybe we're having a great day. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny to me as former kindergarten teacher coming from kindergarten land, if you would have asked me the question of what does kindergarten readiness mean to you when I was in the heart of teaching and I, my responses would not be very DAP. I would tell you, I want them to recognize their name. I want them, it would be ideal if they know their colors and shapes. I sure would love if they knew some letters of the alphabet and could identify, I want them to be able to snap their pants. I need to have a real traditional kind of list. So I think when people hear the words kindergarten readiness, we might have some ideas floating in our brains that necessarily aren't research-based with how humans learn, how young humans learn, how preschool children learn. So let's talk a little bit on the other side of the coin, like let's flip the coin and talk about what is not necessarily something appropriate that you need to be doing in your program if you're working with preschool age children. What's the what's not part of this readiness journey? Well, when I'm thinking about this question, I I I want to um kind of avoid the, the, any kind of shaming for teachers. Sure. Again, teaching is a super hard job. So when I think about this question, I think, well, how about, you know, instead of the, like the absolute, not, I mean, there are of course things that are not development appropriate, but let's think about things that maybe um, we can take in pieces. So I know there's been a lot of talk about standardized testing in kindergarten mm-hmm. and I am, you know, I'm not a fan of that. And, um, you know, I know that's kind of a, that can be a trigger topic for people, but, you know, research shows that using some standardized testing is good information. It just shouldn't be the sole way you are assessing children. Mm-hmm. So um, it can be useful, but you need this more rounded um, way of assessing. And so I am a big fan of observational assessment. I I love um, understanding learning through watching. So just taking that time to watch this, what they're doing, um, making sure your environment is set up intentionally so that you know you're going to maximize that learning. And so combining all those things to paint that picture of um, what they're learning and what they're doing. I think the problem comes when um, teachers are trying to defend that children are learning. Mm. And mm-hmm. I think it's something that early childhood teachers have kind of learned to do because we spend a lot of time watching and seeing, you know, like last week they could not climb on that monkey bar. And, you know, I watched them all week working on that. And now they are moving across that monkey bar. So we are, we are very good early childhood teachers at, at like noticing that learning. But I think it's harder when you're asked for, some kind of product. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's where we start to see, you know, like the the worksheets and the flashcards, because there has to be a product. 
So it's a big lift, but I think that changing of that mindset of how we can measure learning, I think will kind of lead us to that more developmentally appropriate practice and, and, you know, will allow educators to see it's almost working against those, those things that are not developmentally appropriate, almost work against the ultimate goal. I so agree with you when you say that, especially when you're talking about if we can change how we measure our practices also might switch over to more DAP. And I want to talk a little bit about what you kind of dipped your toe in there with the product versus process. Mm -hmm. And that's even true with how we expect children to interact with materials or lessons or objectives Mm -hmm. or any of those things. Um, You know, I put my kids in programs where they would come home dirty with an empty backpack. (laughs) I didn't want a receipt for their preschool. Like I didn't want a worksheet where you connect the dots, but not every family understands the same way that early childhood teachers do. So I feel, I feel like our provider's role sometimes too is really helping support our families understand the how young children learn, the what we do all day. Um, It's a big job and love what you said about teacher shaming. No, no, no. We are not trying to teacher shame anyone who's listening. Who's like, Oh my gosh, I've done nothing but worksheets all summer. Right. (laughs) I thought I was helping. Um, It's just really looking at the holistic kind of why we do what we do and then how. Um, Emily, any thoughts on that as a preschool teacher, especially in an in-home setting? I think it's, you know, it's a different view from from where you were, too. Yeah. Um, So I think those skills that the worksheets are they're trying to teach in the worksheets, like they're necessary skills. Right. Like, can you count? Can you do one to one correspondence? But you can also teach those skills in you can teach number recognition in Uno. You can play one to one correspondence with Candyland, you know, and so doing playing those games, you can teach those same skills and it um, and it doesn't feel like work to those kids, yeah. but they are learning, you know, whereas um, I know when kids come home from school, sometimes they're like, oh, these worksheets, you know, or whatever. But um, so it can be it can be taught in a fun way. I love. So let's talk about play a little bit. We mentioned that at the beginning. And Carol, you teach a course on play. Like, <laughs> so let's talk about it. So when I think about play as a part of preparing children for transitioning to kindergarten. I believe that firmly. I know that to be true, but I want you to explain maybe Carol a little bit. What is our provider's role in play alongside children? Like how can our providers start to see themselves as part of that play with overtaking it and turning it into something else? So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it really starts with um, setting up that environment so that it is intentional. Um, So, you know, we talk a lot about interest centers versus play centers. Um, Those interest centers are going to be areas where you are specifically um, targeting a skill or an idea or a practice. And then the play centers are necessary as well. But those are going to be basic, like 
fun things. And now the children are going to learn in all those centers um, because play is learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's like the first job of that educator is to make sure the environment and that there are opportunities for children to experience a variety of, um, you know, experiences. I, you know, I use the example from my classroom where I did never, ever sat down and taught children handwriting. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I did was I intentionally set materials in all the centers where they could experience notebooks, papers, holding pens, crayons. I mean, you just like set up those experiences. Um, And then I think, you know, often educators are encouraged to sidle up to a child who is playing and start firing questions. What are you doing? What are you you?" And there is room for their space for that. There's room for that. But really what I I would, I, I, think is a almost a um is that observation kind of sitting back and watching um and then waiting for that invitation because that happens mm. sometimes. the child wants to invite the teacher into that play and so waiting for those invitations but in the meantime like really just watching what are they doing what am i observing because you will be start to see um all this learning happening whether it's Figuring out a ramp. Can the car go down if it's too low or too high? I mean, like there's that's physics. So I think that that would be my first two things is set up your environment and then really see yourself as the observer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do I here's where I feel as a teacher, I had a hard time when it came to play. First of all, I was never taught how to appropriately play in the kindergarten room. In fact, I was doing a lot of my assessing during center time and polling groups and, Mm -hmm. you know, not really seeing it for the value that it was. So I feel like it's always this kind of balancing act of, yes, I want to observe. I want to be there. I want to be invited. That's a big piece, too. Mm -hmm. But I have to see myself as an intentional facilitator of learning and Often I feel like adults fall in this trap, especially in dramatic play center where we'll sit down and we'll be like, and now I want coffee in on my pizza. That's right. That's right. And so, I'm holding the baby and I'm changing the baby. And yeah, <laughs> make me a list, like show me right. your work. You like it. It's yeah. such a hard, it's this balance. I love yeah. what you're mentioning about setting up intentional opportunities through how we have our environment set in yeah. birth through five rooms. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember, okay, so I am a play advocate and I believe that play should be in all levels of education. Yeah. I play with my college students, you know, I think they should, but it's going to look different in different classes and different grade levels. Mm -hmm. So it's important to remember that like we're, you know, you're perhaps not going to spend as much time as you would in kindergarten playing as you would in third grade playing. But we want to make sure that we're still including those things. And like, I love how Emily brought up the games because as children start to get older and they start to understand games with rules, then these are ways that they can um, experience learning, especially those academic skills, you know, words and reading and math. Games are a great way to do that. Yeah, I totally agree. I just, I think this is like a whole nother, we should have a whole nother episode on play. <laughs> I'm, I'm down for it. All right. <laughs> you heard me here. <laughs> I feel like it's, it is a holistic, like when we're talking about how do we get everybody 
ready for kindergarten? What's our role? What's our job? Especially when we're thinking about through the lens of step up to quality. So listeners who are listening, many are already part of step up to quality. And some of you listening might even be considering joining step up to quality. And in the second edition in 2.0, there actually is a new indicator for family engagement and partnerships. And it's really looking for our providers to help support our families in this transition to kindergarten. So Emily, can you talk to us a little bit since you were in that world, you're, you had families who you know left your program and went into different formal kindergarten settings. Talk to us about how can our providers listening use strategies to help implement this new standard with fidelity and to, to do it well? What ideas do you have? Um, well, I think providers, um, they wear so many hats. Um, just they're the first point of contact, you know, with, with when they pick up in the morning, you know, or when they drop off in the morning, that's, you know, providers are there. And I think just being available to listen to um, concerns that parents have or that families have about um, about going to kindergarten or um, and just um, connecting them with the resources that they might need. Like if they are concerned about maybe um, if they're concerned about like being identified with a disability or um, mm -hmm. needing needing help with um, like a financial situation and just making those connections for them um, as you transition to kindergarten. Because I think um, providers kind of provide this small, safe place where, um, and then when you go to school, sometimes you just, yeah. I mean, with our school, you drop off outside the building and you don't go in, you know? And, and so it just can be kind of scary and overwhelming. And so I think any chance that providers can get to um, partner with those school districts um, and be a part of, and then that's maybe more on the school district side, inviting those providers in because um, I think they're willing and available, but um, the opportunity isn't always there. Um, I think um, prepping your, your children for going to kindergarten, obviously um, talking to them about it. Um, you mm. could show them pictures, you can read them books, you can um, even if you have older siblings, they can come in and share something or um, just talking about that and understanding like it may make you feel nervous, but you can you can do this, you know, and just um, prepping them that in that way. I love what you're mentioning about validating feelings around the change. It is a big change. Young children are so much more capable than we give them credit for. And if we don't acknowledge and validate those feelings, it's almost this missed opportunity to support right. social emotional learning with it. Yeah. Like, and, and those feelings can show themselves in different ways, you know, especially yeah. when you're four and five years old, or um, I mean, if I'm feeling stressed, I show my stress in different ways. And so if we're feeling stressed, our kids are feeling stressed, you know, and just the change brings stress. And so just acknowledging that and helping them deal with that, walking alongside them um, is key. And I think even validating the family's feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. if it's your first one to go, 
it, mm-hmm. it's really validating that, yeah, it's okay for you to kind of mourn this babyhood. Like it, it is a big deal. Uh, I was cleaning out my closet. This is maybe unnecessary part of the podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway. I was cleaning out my closet just yesterday. And you know who I found was Miss Bindergarten, you know, the dog from kindergarten gets ready for the first day of kindergarten. And I read that book every year. I, I read it with my own children. I still it just brings up all these feelings and memories of that anxiety. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, you know, I was a teacher. I knew exactly what was kindergarten. I still was really, really a challenging part of my journey as a parent, I feel. Yeah. Um, I, I love- think at the, heart, at the heart of what Emily is saying too, is that it's about building relationships. Yeah. And you, you know, I think early childhood um, teachers and even, you know, providers are probably really good at building relationships because we have so much time with families. Yes. Because we're not just, they're not just being dropped off at the door. Like my my students had to be t- picked up and dropped off by a caregiver. Um, we had opportunities to get home visits, get conferences. I, you know, I was always in communication with families. Um, and so I think, you know, having, um, you know, understanding readiness for school is going to also really depend on that relationship that they have with the early childhood teacher. I've had several parents um, of former students, um, you know, contact me just to update me on how the children were doing, send me pictures of like the first yeah. day is getting great or something, you know, like we just built that relationship. Yes. Yeah. And I think that Carol, what you just said encompasses why this indicator is a new part of <laughs> step up to quality, like why we have this as a standard now as yes, something yes. that we're looking for. Like we want you to build those relationships. We want you to be that bridge where you're what doing what Emily suggested, like mm-hmm. having connections with the school. So, you know, you know, someone that you can guide them to if they're looking, who do I contact at blah, blah, blah district? Like, what do I do? I don't know. How do we find this? Like, I feel like our birth through five providers really can help fill that role as a, a bridge over. And what you're saying too, Carol, like never <laughs> losing that relationship. I, right. My students are really old. They're grownups now. And I still <laughs> connections with some of their 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 moms like it it never Mm -hmm. ends it's just such a it's a gift to be able to do what we do in early childhood I do believe that and I I appreciate everything that you all just shared on how do we support how do we really think about looking at kindergarten readiness through a different lens are there any last minute ahas or things that you're thinking of as we're as we're wrapping up anything else you want to end with to say to our providers on their journey with preparing children to transition to kindergarten i think i would just oh i think i would just want to encourage them um you know to um step back and validate that the work is hard um and that there is a part that, you know, they have to take care of themselves. And I know we've talked, there's been a lot of talk about um, teachers and, you know, taking care of themselves, but really it's hard work because we are dealing with 
so many different types of people and so many different humans. Um, and so acknowledge that it's hard, take time, make sure you take time to care for yourself and your family. Um, and really just um, be proud of the difference that you're making. Because I truly believe that early childhood providers make a difference in families. lives. Absolutely. 100%. That's exactly what I was thinking. It is taking care of children, providing for them is hard, hard work. And um, it's exhausting, but you matter to those families and to those children and um, definitely making a huge impact. Oh, I love I love what you both said. Like you matter. It's hard. It's OK to say it's hard. And Carol, you mentioned taking care of yourself. So a theme for season two's podcast, you just set me up so nicely, is, <laughs> is self-care for providers, educators, teacher, whatever word you want to use. But what I want to know is what do you two either do now or used to do when you were working in um, a setting such as preschool? How did you take care of yourselves? What do you do to keep your bucket filled so you can keep doing your important work? What's your self-care secrets? Share them out. Well, uh, besides just I'm an outdoors person. So I love being outside. I love being in nature. Um, so camping and visiting places where I can be outside. But honestly, while I was teaching preschool, I took up the hobby of quilting. Ooh. And I, yes. And I, that is, that got me through a lot of very um, stressful years. It's yeah. just being able to, um, you know, focus some attention and um, on what my hands were doing and creating something. So that is, I created quilts. That's a great one. I haven't heard that one yet, but I believe that to be almost meditative. I don't, yes, for sure. I crochet, same sort of, you know, yep. it's this yep. similar little, it's exactly. like <laughs> Zen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you, Emily? What did you do or currently do to take care um, of yourself? Go for a run or a walk, be outside. For sure, 100%. I also, when I was a provider, I took the time um, class. It was, um, and it was all about self-care and um, just spending time meditating a little bit and just calming your, your mind and your body. And I found that to be super helpful. I'm so glad you're mentioning the chime class because we have an episode this season on awesome. you, know, you guys there just you set me up so nicely. Yeah. This. Right. It so. was very, I loved it. It was good. It was just kind yes. of a nice one hour and I, they would just, it was a very calm, not you just kind of relaxed. So uh, those are good strategies. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas with others. I think sometimes when we share self-care things, it doesn't seem as far-fetched or as weird or like I can't do it. Like when you're telling me I can go for a run or go for a walk and that's self-care. That's mine too. That's my go-to. Uh, quilting. I wouldn't have thought of that, Carol. But yeah, that is that's a really good example of something that's makes you feel more centered, <laughs> more mm -hmm. grounded, like all those things are self-care. So we so appreciate your voices on our back to school episode. And thank you listeners for spending quality time with us. Please join again as we chat about future topics to support our Nebraskan providers on their journey with Step Up to Quality. Until next time. Bye-bye.